0: Hello, and welcome to our Transformational Leadership Podcast. I am your hostess, Nicole DeVincentis, aka Chick 911 If this is your first time here with us, welcome to you. And if you've been following us for a while, welcome back and thank you for all of your support. And I just appreciate you guys. <laughs> the goal of this podcast here, we're, we're focusing on leadership pearls that are going to assist you uh, in championing every, any and every area of your life. And realistically, you know, there's a lot of, I don't consider this to be a motivational podcast in that sometimes when you listen to motivational content, here's the problem, is you get all jacked up and everything works, right? Like the music is on, the images are on, um, if it's an audio visual thing, but if it's just, you know, audio, you're you're listening, the tonality of the speaker, and you get all pumped up. And then as soon as it ends, it's kind of (laughs) like the floor drops off. And then you you revert back into being unmotivated, and you never take any action. And that's not the purpose of this podcast. The purpose of this podcast is more inspiration. Okay, motivation kind of like gets you jacked up inspiration uh, inspiration inspires you to go out and actually do something right there's a big difference there like motivation is actually a responsibility so i you know there's times you know i need to get a little bit of inspiration from people when i'm just having a rough like i just can't seem to get it together that day i'm tired i'm hungry Maybe I've been training really, really intensely, and I don't want to just resort to caffeine or five scoops of pre-workout in order to get my mojo back. On. And so I'll, you know, I'll flip on some of the, you know my mentors and my coaches, the people that I look up to and and look for that inspiration. But motivation is one hundred percent your responsibility, and so it's even that responsibility to seek out that information. But here on this podcast, we inspire you okay, to actually shorten that, we shorten the time between your idea, the idea inception, and when you actually take action, when you execute on that idea, all right, because that's what it's all about, ideas are great, visions are great, you know, having passion for what you say that you want to do is wonderful as well, but unless you actually move on it, it's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of noise. It's just a bunch of you know talk, and it means nothing when it comes to leadership. And this applies to any walk of life, personal, professional. Every single one of us is a leader at one period of our life or another. Whether you operate in the role of a dedicated or appointed leader, maybe you're the cha- you're the um, captain of a team or maybe you are an executive, or maybe you're, the, um, you're an entrepreneur, you are in sales, you're a parent, you are an older sibling, you somehow garnish extra responsibilities as you go along through your life. You're responsible for a project, for a group of people, and when that happens, You are responsible for setting and holding the bar to move either the group of people you're responsible for, the project you're working on, the organization that you're in charge of, you're in charge of moving it forward. And forward, like growth is the expectation. The one thing a lot of people get misconstrued is, you know, this issue of tradition. And if we just hold fast to this particular tradition, you know, and, and we don't, take forward action. We're not that radical or whatever. We're going to be just fine. And here's what you need to know. Obviously, the world is a very fast moving place. Nowadays, it just seems like time is moving, 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 moving. And I have a great deal of respect for certain traditions. The problem that I have is if you do not grow and adapt, you become obsolete because everything continues to change around you. And I use this example all the time. It's like you, it's, if you were in a car and you pulled up to a, a stoplight and the light changed and you refused to go forward, you may think that it's like all well and good, but all the cars around you continue to move forward. And now you're like miles behind them. That's the same thing as refusing to grow, adapt, and evolve. Like everybody that you were toe-to-toe with at the at the line, they're like way ahead of you. And you're just, you know, in the dust. And now the people that you're supposed to be leading, the people who are following you in traffic, like they're all pissed off because you have halted forward progression. Everybody else has blown you by and you have actually inhibited they're going on to move to the next place. So a lot of the teachings that we do here, I, I really have tried to pull the best teachings from the, the best leaders, the best coaches, the best trainers that I've come across. And unequivocally, one of those is a man by the name of John Maxwell. And for real, if you have not read his stuff, and I, I don't work for John, <laughs> like I know I'm just, I don't work for John. I don't work for John Maxwell. I know that I will meet him one day. And he wrote a book, uh, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And he talks about the law of the lid in that you are always the lid on your organization and the growth of the people you're in charge of this organization that you're running or whatnot, it will never exceed your leadership capabilities and and that applies to everything it will never exceed you know your habits of continuing education your personal you know credo of continuing improvement and continuing to grow you will be stunting the growth of the organization of the group of the people underneath you if you refuse to grow as well so everything with leadership you know leadership is your ability to influence other people to more so than sales it's not manipulation but it's getting them to voluntarily follow along in a particular direction but the thing is is once you get their cooperation whatever format of people this is this is a, a team this is your family this is strangers that you don't even know if you're in a service related profession you need their cooperation but you also have to have a skill set to maintain that team, that forward direction. You need to maintain the culture of the organization that you're building. So it's two separate skill sets. One, and I put this in the in the context of business because it's very black and white, it helps you understand. There's skills for acquisition. How do I influence these other individuals to come on board and work with us, work for us, work alongside of us so that we can move this thing forward? And there's maintenance. Okay, so there's like acquisition and then there's retention and maintenance. How do I keep this moving forward? How do I keep? my people engaged and enrolled and, you know, not pulling them along. This is voluntarily working along and holding the bar high so that the culture that I am intentionally placing in this group, whether I'm changing the culture or I'm building something new with a very intentional culture that I have decided this place should be, should have and operate under is held to that standard two completely different skill sets. And so the one thing when it's leadership, it's the ability to influence other people. But once you have those people on your team working with you for you, it is imperative that you align your walk and your talk. Because the people who see you on a daily basis, unfortunately, they are going to be the ones who are going to notice when you fall off that line. And there is nothing worse than having a group of individuals who are a bunch of yes men, yes women, they smile to your face and as soon as you walk away, they, they talk out the side of their mouth about how you always say everyone should do this, this, this and this, but you always this, this, this and this. How terrible is that? You want to be sure that through and through you can marry your walk and your talk as close as humanly possible so that it's not like you have a front and then behind closed doors you're a total slob or you're a total biatch. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you'll fall offline and people will catch you and it will usually be Murphy's Law at the worst possible moment. So everything about leadership, it definitely is influence, but I 100% consider it to be self-governance first. That's where it starts from. It's all about integrity, okay? So don't, you know, make commitments that you're not going to keep. Don't say other people should do things if you don't hold yourself to that same standard, right? And then you can build out from there because when your people get under stress, What they will do is they're going to start grabbing at straws and trying to figure out, you know, how would he or she handle this situation? And if you're all sketchy about this stuff, or if you have taken liberties that you had no right taking or you have gone out and you have harmed other people, that's setting the example. People will always try to find an exception or an easy way out. But if you set the bar high and you keep it high and yes, it's hard to do. You'll find in order to be able to do that, you're going to have to not commit to a lot of different things because working on yourself is really a full time job because it it never ends. And just when you think you've mastered a skill, all of a sudden there's a new situation that comes up and now you're like, well, what the hell? I just I thought it was so good. And now there's this (laughs) and it's 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 so humbling. And when you step into that and totally embrace it to tie in some of our past podcasts here is that when you realize, excuse my language, honestly, what a giant asshole you are, how many mistakes you honestly make every single day, it's not that you don't give a shit anymore and you're like, whatever, I just, you know, I I miss all, it's not that it's you identify that you are a flawed human being you realize honest to god how much mercy and grace has been extended to you by god and by other people when you were at your worst or when you you just could not seem to get your act together and you were making mistakes all the time you you operate different and then you in tune are commanding your emotionality and you don't get jacked up about little things anymore which Places you in a position of peace and power than as a leader to come and have hard discussions with people. This is where you're messing up. Or when they cross the line, you're going to be able to hold up that beacon of light. You know, this is not what we do here. And you're able to enforce whether this is policies, procedures, expectations, standards, methods of operation, your whatever is going down so that you always have awesomeness in and around you and you don't allow for the disintegration of your culture or baseline rules of respect. That happen when you're when you have people around you. And this whole self, you know, personal development and professional development, you become a student of that. Everything else kind of like falls to the wayside and you no longer focus on stupid shit anymore. Like it, it literally like drops away from you. And it's not just like you don't care. Okay, I want to impress that upon you. You do care. But when you are in a leadership position, you cannot afford to lose your shit, right? There's going to be things that people do, which enrage you, which infuriate you, which you're just like, whatever, but you cannot allow temporary emotions to, to cause you to react. A good leader always responds to a situation, does not react, okay? React is if you have a menthos candy and you drop it in a bottle of, I think, Coca-Cola or Pepsi and it causes an explosion, all right? That's a reaction, a chemical reaction. That's lighting a, fi- a fuse on like a firecracker and poof, it explodes. That's reaction, responsive is you see what's going on, but it's the same feelings inside of you that you get when you handle a toddler who has has a meltdown because the line, the parking line in the parking lot is yellow. You know what I'm talking about. And I, I give this as the example all the time because it's so stupid. But if you've ever been around a toddler who is just they're probably overtired, or they're hungry, or whatever, and you're walking along, life is great, and all of a a sudden, they're like, "Ah!" and you look at them, what's wrong? And you're thinking, what, did they just get stung by a bee? Like, what the heck happened? What's wrong? The line is yellow! And you take a minute, because you're trying to, did I, wait, did you just say the yeah, the line is yellow. He just said that. And, like, your brain is trying to, ra- like, wrap around why this is such a catastrophic thing. And then you like, clicks in. You're just like, okay, we're done here. <laughs> and when... <laughs> it's so silly. It's so stupid. It's so funny. But that's what it's like when you operate as a leader is that you don't allow stupid shit to get in your way and impede forward progress, whatever it is that you, you are committed to achieving or, or striving towards or attaining, as long as it's rooted in good, okay? And so with that, we are taking this concept of leadership and we're going to be putting in a different topic for today today. And this is also going to help you. This is going to help you command your emotionality. This is going to help you to build your teams. And this is going to assist you in focusing on the main idea rather than getting caught up in trivial bullshit that honest to God does not matter. Okay, so it's, it's remaining focused on who you serve. That's the topic for today. Remaining focused on who you serve. This has a variety of different applications. Clearly, if you work in any sort of a service industry, you are a healthcare worker, you work in, God help you, customer service in some aspect, you are in first respondership, you are in the military. Every single person has clearly in those roles someone whom they serve, okay? The person who's sick, the person who's standing in front of them who has a problem. When you're operating in an organization, as an employee, as a member of a team, wherever you fall, if there's a hierarchy of of employees and then there's management or whatever, you still have to remain focused on who you serve. Do you serve your boss or are you both serving the consumer? It's just that you have a reporting system that goes up the line. This is a difference in perspective. And the reason I bring this up is because you have had a lot of just tremendous opportunities within different organizations and was so taken aback by the number of yes men and yes women that were within certain organizations that were very, very sizable. And I couldn't figure out why... There was so much dysfunction inside of there and why there was so much cattiness and pettiness and just almost like unethical or absence of a moral code when it came to how things went down. It it was just it was foreign to me because, again, I, I if you've never been on this podcast before, I am a registered nurse. I've been one for a very long time. My background is critical care, emergency, and trauma. And I grew up, I say grew up, for many years working at one particular hospital. And I know people get tired of hearing this, but I just, I would like to impress upon you. When I talk about working at, the the place is Loyola Medical Center in Maywood, Illinois. The reason why I love that place was because it really set, in my mind, Gosh, goodness on all different levels. Like, it is a place where, and this is how I started to build culture of my enterprise and why I started doing the things that I was doing because there was such a sharp contrast between where I was raised as a professional and what I saw in the rest of the world and my opinion as to why there's so many problems. Working at a place like Loyola, it's a Jesuit based. institution. Okay, so right off the bat, there's a difference in terms of value system. Okay, which you don't always see at other places. The other thing was that it is sitting in a neighborhood which is a little bit rougher. And so there's not a whole lot of politics per se. It's more so like you know where you stand with people. If if someone's pissed off at you, there's no secret, they will tell you to your face. You're acting like a bitch, okay? <laughs> like, they will front you on it. They will not stand there with a smile on their face. And then as you walk away, all of a sudden, they're talking about you. If they have a problem with you, I trust me on this, they will straight up, you will know it. There is no secret about it whatsoever. And I love operating in that clear space because you know what? You can handle conflict like an adult. You can resolve it and you can move on with your life. Why? Because at that place, we're very clear on who we serve. It's We don't serve administration. We serve the people, the people who are sitting in front of us. And in that situation, also when it came to building teams it was never based on gender, like whoever was recruited into a position or got hired for different things. It wasn't because you were man or woman or this or that it was honest to God who was the best qualified. And granted, like in the nursing world, it's predominantly female. So I I understand that there may be a little bit of a skew there. But what I'm going to present for your consideration is the fact that I never, I never applied for any jobs within that organization except for the very first one that I had, which was straight out of nursing school. I did not work in healthcare during nursing school. I, I worked my way through nursing school working as a bartender and a waitress. Um, because it paid more money. I couldn't pay for school on what anybody would be. It was like candy stripers at the time or nurses' aides. That just wasn't going to work. I needed to produce more money to to pay for my housing and and everything else. So I worked as as a waitress and a bartender full-time and then went to school, obviously full-time, and did my clinicals and everything. And then when I got out of school, um, actually nurses were being laid off. It was a a weird time in the economy when... (laughs) Hospitals were trying to save money, and of course, nursing takes up like a big chunk of expenses. And you know, they go through this every once in a while. Oh, well, here's the basic biggest expense. Let's cut expenses, and then what happens? That a bunch of people die, and then you know they get sued. Hospitals get sued, and then they look at their statistics. Their what we call M and M, their morbidity and mortality, and then we realize like. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know what? People come to the hospital for nursing care. They come there for diagnostic procedures, for interventions, and overall for nursing care to help recover them through those volatile times. And even though we have people with very good hearts, when you don't have that education and you honestly don't have the clinical skills and foundation of a very good nurse, the patients die. (laughs) Okay, like... (laughs) That's pretty much how it is, and so you go through these situations, and even though uh, at that time nurses were not being hired, what I did was I started calling a manager, a little bit of a here, um, on here, on a unit that I wanted to work, and I called her pretty much every day once I got the results of my boards that I passed until there was a position created... <laughs> persistence pays (laughs) and after that it like the rest was history and what happened was I dedicated myself full-fledged to becoming at first it was the best nurse But at a teaching institution like that, it's not just, you're not working with nurses. We have students from different disciplines and all different levels. So we've got med students, we've got nursing students, we've got respiratory therapy students, we've got paramedic students, we have radiology students, and then we have people who are fresh out of school. And then we have interns and we have residents and we have fellows and we have attendings. And we have people from renal and we have people from cardiology and we have people from general medicine. and We have people from ob and we have people from oncology, hematology. And so you had to actually know a good amount about a lot of different stuff. And you had to become the leader because every, we call them services, every service, cardiology or hematology, whatever would write orders on these patients. Cause they had multiple things wrong with them. They didn't just have like a heart attack. They had a heart attack and they had, you know, bleeding in their stomach and they had just finished chemotherapy. And, Oh, she's pregnant. Like, <laughs> I'm not making it that up. That's how life was. And as the nurse, you're the stopping block on catching, you know, different things that people would be ordering or making sure that the orders were complete. Like, it was a high, high maybe not high, maybe it was high pressure, I don't know, Um, but a very high acuity situation, and you always had to have that semblance of who is it that I'm serving, and if somebody wrote an order which is wrong, you also had to have the gumption, this is the expectation, to open your mouth and point out the error that was the expectation because there's so much happening with these patients and so many different you know cooks are in the kitchen there that somebody has to make order of it and make sure that the patient is going to be safe and it usually falls on the shoulders of the nurse because the nurse is the one who does the stuff that the doctors are ordering so we became an integral part to the team. And that even included times when an attending physician who had much more training, much more specialized knowledge, and many years more experience came into the picture, they relied on the nurses And we would, you know, go into every patient's room as a team and round on them so that everybody was on the same page as to what was going on with this person. And if something was wrong, if the resident gave the wrong answer, the attending looked to the nurse and asked us what's going on with this patient. And then we would, you know, share the story. So for me, growing up in an organization like that, where, challenging an order was an expectation. If you did it out of goodness and well intent and informed knowledge, like I'm questioning this order, not because I think that you're a dumbass, but because this, this and this. Oh, it's this, this, and this. Great. And that it was a very open communication, very, very open dialogue. And who we served was the primary. And it wasn't seen as though female challenging a male or this, that, or the other. It was literally the person who had the best qualifications was always asked to do higher level functions, to be in charge or you know, to to be recruited to another department. And that's what happened to me is I applied for that one job. But after that, it was seriously my work ethic and everything. And I'm telling you this not to impress you, but to impress upon you that when you do awesome work, and you put yourself in the right environment, people are going to notice. That's how it works. If you find yourself in a situation, as I did once I started, you know, taking job opportunities in other places where that was not the standard, all of a sudden you've got people pulling you down because their ego is in the way, because you're outperforming them, because you're challenging the status quo, you're challenging their position. That, that's a breakdown and that, that goes back to a character flaw that you're allowing your ego to get in the way, you have got to remain focused on who it is that you serve. When you remain that focused on who it is that you serve, the person in front of you, or if you are in an organization, you're part of a sales team, your job is to, is to get sales, right? Then All of a sudden, it's not like, oh, he's better than me, she's better than me, I want them away. No, if our job is to honestly hit this particular target, our projection, our target for this month or this quarter or this year, where do we sit? We want the best people around us. We don't want to bat people down and keep them from performing at their best. We, This is who we're here to serve. Let's find a way. Let's get this shit done. You keep your personal stuff out of the workplace. You come in here, you work together, and you remain mission-focused on who it is that you serve. That gives away. There's no longer, like, girl, you know, putting down of another girl because she's prettier. Like, it's completely irrelevant. You're there because you're awesome. So it helps you in so many areas when you remain that mission focused on who it is that you serve. Now, perhaps you're operating in a different space. And I want for, for my people who've been coaching with me for a long time, you know, for sure, I always bring in the spiritual component. And that's really what sets my academy apart from a bunch of others, is that I'm willing to bring God into the equation because I believe in Him, first of all, I believe that He has His hand on our life. But that's really the missing key. When you look back through history, all of the most successful individuals, when you really get into their inner workings, they believed in something higher. And for me, years ago, I went looking for truths because I was noticing like this whole, I was never honestly aware of a gender gap working over on the Loyola side, whether it was in flight or whether it was in that institution. I never even knew it was a thing because it didn't exist there. It was just again mission focused on who it is that we serve. Expectation was to serve those people to the best and highest degree. End of story. And then when I I was working at other places, it what the hell is going on here? And then and even now, I I can't, I can't even believe like that sort of behavior actually exists. And you're always in that that element of leadership you're always either leading yourself or you're leading other people but sometimes you're stuck in these places you're there temporarily and you are making no headway and it can be very frustrating and if you believe in God and believe that he has you on missions as I do believe that sometimes he'll put you around people (laughs) it's just like it's like you go, you have to go in the bathroom stall and you're just like, Lord, I, I, you you gotta do something about your kids down here. Like I just, I am up to here. I can't take it no more. Do something with your children. Right. And many times what he's doing, (laughs) he's molding you into becoming as a side note, don't ever pray for patience. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, if you do you're just gonna get a challenge. He's not gonna make it easier for you. <laughs> he's not gonna be. <laughs> no, what he's gonna do? He's gonna raise the temperature in the kitchen to make it so flipping hot, so that <laughs> you oh you'll get patient, all right? Because you're gonna be surrounded by a bunch of people where you're like, I, I can't even. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> As an aside, but. What I'm saying is that when you recognize at the end of the day, ultimately who you serve, even when you're in a situation with individuals who don't share your mentality and your commitment to maybe the people who are in front of you who you serve or the organization which you serve, remembering that you serve God, that's ultimately who you serve. That's who I believe. And so for me, that really has kept me buoyant in environments where, <laughs> man, I, I, it was a challenge to go in there any day and every day because the culture was to pull you down and to bat you down. I call it dick slapping, where you are not allowed to shine. Um, it's it's also called crabs in a bucket. If somebody starts to rise to the top and do better than the rest of the group, they pull you back down. And that for me, it it seems unethical. Like that's the line in the sand for me because the last thing I heard was (laughs) I was given a bunch of gifts and a bunch of talents and my job per God's direction is to develop them to their highest potential. And so by you trying to get in my way and destroy it, you're actually interfering with God's plan on my life. (laughs) and like I just won't have that okay so I'm really aware of who it is that I serve and that that gives you and of course this this has come over time it wasn't always as strong that view and that belief was not as strong as it is today that for me that has been developed over the past probably 5 to 10 years um right now this is 2018 when I'm recording this but that's my view and my position and so it it's kind of like if you've ever studied Maslow's hierarchy, like there's, there's basement, you know, things that you need, you need food, you need water, you need shelter, and then come, you know, up from there, you know, it, it's more luxury things. And at the very top, it's like self-actualization. And so I can definitely see that path of progression, only for me, yeah, self-actualization is up there, but the individual who is responsible for that still is God. Because self-actualization, it's not, all, it's not all about you and it's not about me being my best self or my most authentic self or me, you know, just shining bright and all these different things. It's doing everything as if like God is watching you 24-7, which he is, but you're doing everything we call this for the glory of God, Do everything onto the Lord, whereas like he's watching you and he puts you here for a particular reason. You don't know always what the reason is. And sometimes even if you do know, sometimes it's just a temporary assignment. And if you take that time and you look backwards over the course of your life and you see all of a sudden you were trucking along and all of a sudden things just, they kind of just fell apart. And it could be an immediate like loss of resources or the termination of a relationship just like almost unexpectedly. It's things like that, or you just have like, no, you're like the door is shut. You were moving along and the door was shut and you took a different turn and that door shut and this turn and that door shut. And no matter what you do, you were still ending up with the same results where you could not move forward. I believe that that is God moving you to a different place. Or if you tend to respond to pain more as some of us do in the beginning is if you are a very strong willed individual and especially if you are a fighter and like a proven survivor, you have come through the knit and the grit, you have survived either financial hardships, abusive relationships, a combination of the both, you have this warrior spirit spirit in you. It is very hard. When things get worse, you actually, you go into warrior mode and you push even harder to, to, move, to well, I guess to survive, but then to, to make this thing better. And many times, I believe God will speak to you through those times because he will actually allow it to get worse where maybe you're having physical symptoms. And that was the case with me. I was moving along, doing different things. I was, you know, doing jobs that I was asked to do to improve either an educational system or a curriculum or something like that and was being met with so much resistance. It wasn't that I was burned out it was, I was becoming fed up. That was the difference. And meanwhile, this whole thing was going on, our internal team, the people for whom or, or through whom I was getting paid, the internal team was completely fractured. And, and, and at one point it was non-existent. And so when you are operating in that space, and I found myself being put under the bus or thrown under the, not put, thrown under the bus and used as a scapegoat and absorbing a lot of people's frustrations unnecessarily. I had no backing. I had no one behind me. And it got to the point where I had no one to talk to, Uh, you know, certainly in, in all respect for my family. My family couldn't understand what was going on. And it was escalating to such a huge point where I didn't know who I could trust anymore. And there's, there's a times, you know, when you can push through hard times, because you know who your people are, you know, it may not be a lot of people, but it's one or two, I can count on these people. But now when you're operating in an environment where you are not even sure who you can trust anymore, it's the people who smile at you, and then they talk about you behind your back, as soon as you turn your back towards them, that it's a very unsettling feeling and to have that much responsibility with zero authority is the most disempowering place you can be as a person and I was starting to have physical symptoms and I was I honest to God I remember I started (laughs) this sounds so I can't believe I even took me this long it was like October I had a meeting with my manager and I got a nosebleed It was probably, probably blood pressure, right? And I had a nosebleed almost every single day from, and I started having headaches and I started being sick to my stomach and I started having crying spells October all the way through the next year until I left that position in, I think it was August, August, September. Honest to God, because I kept on pushing harder. I was so so committed to who it is that I was serving. And in that situation, it was an educational role. I I was teaching and it was a continuing education that I viewed my mission, who I was serving as like a two-step series. I served the people to whom I was delivering this education. But ultimately, we both, myself and the people who were in these trainings, both served the community so serving through. So my commitment is to the very end user, the people who are going to be calling 911, the people who are going to be coming into an emergency room. That's who I'm committed to. And yes, there's going to have to be some growth, some changes which are going to take place because we're seeing changes in the industry. We're seeing changes in healthcare, We're seeing migration of the homeless people moving out from Chicago suburbs. I mean, there was so much which was going on. There's social in healthcare, and this was uh, prior to Obamacare being passed, like there was a whole bunch of different things which were going on very fast. I was trying to get some systems up into place so we wouldn't have to worry about trivial bullshit. We could focus on serving these people to a higher capacity, which was going to be the expectation. And it was not met with, uh, with, let's say, open arms and fanfare. It was being pushed down. And at the same token, I was Outshining some people in my own internal team. And so it was, I was receiving just a lot of, it was terrible. That's all I can say. It was terrible from the inside out. And finally, I just decided enough was enough. And I realized that, okay, (laughs) I didn't think at the time, this is probably God trying to get my attention. God gives us a free will and you can just try, 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 try. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to pull yourself out of the forest. Okay, you know that saying you can't see the forest through the trees. And when you get caught up in that stressor, in whatever, it's very hard to see where what's going on. It's hard to triage your position. Where am I? Where are we going? What's, are we making progress? Because you're so focused on trying to, to push through and get to that other side. You see what I'm saying? However, in my mind is, why are we wasting our time with so much silly bullshit? Because we're here to serve these people. We're here to serve the end user who it's the community, the community at large, the people who live in the Collar community, the people who drive through the community because they're going to visit their family members. How do we fit in what we call a trauma system? Like there is a lot more that's going on than just you getting your feelings hurt or your unwillingness to move forward. And for me, I never understood that mentality of, no, we're not gonna change this. It, it just like, it could go on forever and ever and ever. And I made that resolution that when I was building my own company, that growth is the expectation, that's here. That's that's the way that it is. Yes, we have foundational principles. We've got our core values. We probably do have some traditions, but at the end of the day, growth is the expectation, but it's quality growth. It's not fronting something, saying that we're doing something, but we don't have the infrastructure to support it. So now we've got, you know, uh, there's all these, you know, landmines which are going off all over the place. We're able to move forward quickly Okay, I'm a very fast producer, very like I'm moving on this stuff, can do a lot of things and outproduce majority of people. But guess what? I also recruit the same amount of people into my enterprise and into my existence because you always attract what you are, not what you want. Right. All the teachings that we talk about on this podcast and when you coach and train with me or anybody in my academy, you're going to be hearing the same teachings over and over and over again. It's how you apply it. And that big thing is always remembering who it is that you serve. And when you are a leader, it's your job to communicate who it is that you serve to the people that you are on your team. Right, I mean, we would think this is pretty obvious. If it's a charity, like everybody's all focused up in the charity, who do we serve yet? There's a lot of water cooler that talk which takes place, you know, and it's a lot of unnecessary stuff. It's the cancers, it's the gossip, it's the sarcasm, it's the he said, she said, it's the this one, you know, thinks that she's all that, he's all that, and that is completely like that's not tolerated in my organization. I refuse to have it. It's bullshit and it's got to be cut out. We don't just kind of pat it down. We eliminate it. So in my organization, um, again, who are you committed to serving? We don't have time to be derailed by these low level behaviors. Gossip is one of them. And I was so happy to find, uh, again, this is a long time coming. There was one guy in particular, one gentleman in particular who helped me with this. I remember, um, Speaking. This is going to be about gossip here. I remember as a nurse, there was one day when all of a sudden it was like I had, it's going to sound weird, an out-of-body experience where I was able to hear gossip coming from my fellow staff members, the nurses that I was working with. And up to that point, like nurses, we can be pretty hard, especially ER nurses. Like, I told you, we tell you exactly where we stand. If you piss us off, like, you know, where you, there's no question about it. Like two people, you should never piss off. Number one is your waitress. Number two is your nurse. That's, that's just like, (laughs) if you follow those rules, like your life will be pretty damn good. But one day we do, you know, if somebody pisses us off, like, we will talk about it and it's not nice. Like it is not nice at all. And all of a sudden, this is what changed me one day is I heard it and it, it was like, I was a fly on the wall. I just heard this and it sounded terrible and I no longer wanted to be a part of it. So I immediately stopped my gossip right there. But I knew that I couldn't stay in that environment anymore because I was outnumbered. There was no way I was going to be able to avoid this or change it and make it something better because it's pervasive. And I I just knew, like, you know, I'm a triage nurse, like I know what's viable and what's not, that was not going to be viable. And so It's really been a grooming process then as I triage my relationships, who's in my inner circle, teaching people, you know, who I am, what I stand for, how I, how I'm changing, how I've changed, what's appropriate, what I tolerate, what I don't. It's a work in and of itself. But, building my organization, it's way easier to build your culture from the get-go than it is to change it, and we put into place this no-gossip policy, and it was uh, Dave Ramsey from, if you've ever read his stuff, from Entree Leadership, who talked about how his organization has a no-gossip policy, and it's literally grounds for termination, and I heard this on a podcast, this is almost like 10 years ago, I think, where he the way that he put it up in his organization, like it's there, you, you learn about this in your orientation, and then you get one verbal warning if you violate this. And after that, it's literally grounds for termination. And I always wanted to do that. This is before I heard his podcast, but I didn't know how to implement it. And as soon as I heard that he did it and he's doing it, and that's the line in the sand, I, I felt so free. It's like, this is awesome. I mean, that, if you think about how much energy is expended just and time wasted on petty things like gossip and how it just erodes at... The, the goodwill meaning of your company or your organization or your team and how it destroys trust. It destroys relationships and it stops forward movement. And it ultimately stops and inhibits how well you're able to serve the people who you serve, like your end user, that we don't have time for that here. Like if you have time to gossip, clearly you don't have enough to do. That's the the position that I take. You know what I'm saying? Get a hobby, pick up your levels of production, go clean something if you have to, but literally we do not tolerate gossip here. And if it occurs, like we need to know about it. It is that, it's that black and white. We just don't do it. And learning that piece from Dave Ramsey, that's what I pulled and put into my organization. Why? So that we can remain very mission oriented. Okay, Because you as a leader, as you acquire more responsibility, you're in charge of more people underneath you. Maybe you have departments underneath you or however this pans out in your life or even in your own family, you are the leader. Okay, You've got to be, again, walking your talk. And if that includes gossip, then that includes gossip. Then that becomes an assignment for you. You've got to eliminate it period. And gossip by definition is just, it's just as Dave describes it. It's saying something negative about something, about somebody to a person who's not in the position to correct it. So if you were to see something go down at work, people are stealing staplers from work, okay? You don't go to the coworkers and say, oh, did you see how Susie's stealing staplers, okay? Or blah, 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 blah. If you go to the boss and you say, and yeah, you can call this tattling or whatever. Look, Susie's stealing uh, staplers, you know, whatever. He's or she is in a position to fix it, to make that situation better. Does that make sense? Whereas if you are talking about, I can't even think. Um, something negative about somebody to somebody who's not in a position to correct it. Okay, so here's something you hear a piece of juicy information about somebody's marriage about somebody's husband. And now all of a sudden, you're coming over here and you're guising in the form of a prayer warrior. And we're going to pray about this together. That's actually wrong, okay? Because they shouldn't know all of those juicy details about this. They're not in a position to correct it. You've got to maintain that high, high level, that high standard, take the high road, and not allow all those things to come to the forefront because those people, those prayer warriors, they're not in the position to actually correct it. Ooh, I know that one touches on a big nerve. Okay, and so that comes back to remaining committed to who it is that you actually serve. And when you keep those people, that concept, that idea, that mission in front of your face all of the time and you now you get your heart is involved, it automatically changes how you conduct your day to day. It changes how you interact with your staff or the people for whom you're responsible. How you interact with the public, and it doesn't. It doesn't make you into a doormat. It's not just like the customer is always right mentality. It's not okay. What it is, it's, it's it has a very solid backing. Okay, here's here's black and white. This is how we operate here. Okay, this is the expectation, and it it enhances your communication and the cooperation that you're able to foster from the people with whom you work or how you're trying to move your initiative forward. But it always comes back to your being able to stand strong amidst the fire because there's going to be times when that's going to be challenged. Maybe not in your own organization, but it will be, you know, people will be talking about you or You know, you're going to be going through rocky times and people are going to just try to give you a quick, easy solution to a situation, maybe to so that you can earn a faster or higher profit, but you always have to remember who it is that you serve. And when that's the bottom line, right, you're building around that situation it incorporates a lot. It, it, it recruits the people who are very mission oriented, the people who have giant hearts. Most times, not, those are the people that you want in your organization. But typically, the individuals who are very heart led is they don't understand the, the line in the sand. And they just, you know, want to give. So it helps you actually teach them how to have what I don't necessarily want to call it boundaries. It helps you to show to teach them. Here's the expectations. Here's how we do this period. It's very clear. Why? Because this is who we serve. As the same thing goes towards your very high achievers, high-level producers. Yeah, you can do this. You can, you know, turn the patients over, flip numbers really fast, do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, we're here to serve these people, right? So it works as that tool for you to continually keep your people engaged and increase not just their level of motivation, but their commitment towards putting forth great work does that make sense and and that's that's going to be key for you but it's your job as the leader to remain committed and keeping that in front of you because nobody in your organization is going to be as jazzed about what it is that you're setting out to do or even if this is a personal goal that you have no one's going to be jazzed about it as you are Okay, so you always have to remember that, that it kind of gets, you know, diffused out as you go down the chain. But it's your job to keep it front and foremost in front of the kind of like are brainwashing them, this is who we serve. And eventually, they're going to roll their eyes, right? Oh, it's because we of who we serve, blah, 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 blah. But it's going to be that take home point. And I guarantee you, when you invest in your people with that high level of intentionality, and that commitment to the mission and everything else, it has tremendous effects, okay, because you become that role model, you in turn are creating other leaders, and they actually take those ideas, and they use them in their home setting, or if and when they move from your organization, and they go work somewhere else, or what they open up their own thing. Now they're taking those good pieces and those pieces of wisdom and they're implementing it and so instead of things crumbling and getting worse we're actually things are building and they're continuing to get better because we're still always looking out for the best interest of the other person even though there's nobody standing over us telling us what to do (sighs) i know I'm touching on a lot of pain points here. Believe me, I I get it. (laughs) It's funny. um, You know, I've obviously in the fitness industry here and I have friends, you know, in who are in management positions or different, you know, positions in gyms uh, across the area here. And I can't tell you how many times they're like, oh my God, like these people, they'll just walk past an overflowing garbage can and they won't, they won't empty it because they think that it's not their job. And You know, what's the problem? The failure is it's a corruption of culture. Is it ignorance? No, it's failure on the end of leadership at the very, very top in order to put out, you know, what's the expectation here? Yeah, we do have people who are hired here to empty the garbage. But if you honestly see a garbage can overflowing, do you take pride in the area where you work? You know, are you navigate your space here? Are you in the middle of closing a major deal? Are you working on you know this is like people there's a business who's coming in and they want to buy a hundred memberships for their employees? Yes or no? Chances are you have thirty seconds to at least empty that garbage can and put in a fresh bag and then have somebody come back and pick it up. Like there's always ways to get it done, but it's it's that pain point that you have where maybe people today don't have pride in the work that they do or they don't see it as valuable right but it always comes back like when you work in a gym you serve the people who are there, who the, the members who are there. Not so that the members are always right. Not so that the members can come in and totally trash the place. You're not supposed to kiss their ass, obviously. But what I'm saying is when you're grooming your staff to that level, now they have pride in their work. And even though we know that there's a lot of people who don't necessarily stay working at one gym for a long period of time, sometimes they're working their way up through school or however this pans out you are putting better people out into the world and then when it comes time for you to hire on you still have a culture of awesomeness and excellence inside your facility that actually recruits more customers into your place Right. Which drives up your profits if we're putting this in this place. But also over the course of time, people are going to be less likely to leave your organization because of how well and symbiotic there's the vocabulary word of the day, how symbiotic everybody is together. It's the betterment of the whole entire place because we're very focused on who we serve. Does that make sense? You can 100% do this, but again, it falls on you as the leader, as the visionary, as the coach, as the boss, as the mom, as whomever, to put into place those tenets. And remember that culture is way easy, easier to, to begin than it is to change. So if you're in that, if you're in you know position number two, got to change your culture, yeah, you've got your work cut out for you, but I guarantee you, it 100% can be done. And the more work you do on the front end, and this has to come from the top all the way down, this cannot be something that middle management puts out there. You know, there is something called leading from the middle, but usually once that person gets moved out of that position, or if they're not there, they have a day off, people just, you know, kind of get slack ass and they don't do the work anymore. So it's got to be from top to bottom. And that starts with you being very clear on what it is that you're setting out to do. Aside from just profits, okay, it's who do you serve? And that's the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer. Okay, I know I put a lot of slant on this podcast, you know, on the entrepreneurial space and the sales space and the business operations space, but you can take these principles and put them into your home. Okay, who is it that we serve? How does our family serve the community? How our neighborhood? Okay, are we working as a team here? Are we on the lookout for the best interest of the other people in our household? Okay. Are we, as children, trying to stuff garbage into a garbage can that is overflowing and it clearly needs to be taken out to the trash? Okay, are we loading up the sink with a bunch of dishes thinking that mom's just going to do it because, you know, that's what mom does and maybe you're the mom.